There's so many great books that have been written about people who just didn't give up. Even that Steve Jobs story, it's like he didn't start off with people accepting him. They're like, this guy's crazy. Yeah, computers, you know, I don't get it. He was able to push, but he was fueled by something internally. He was fueled by something inside himself that says, no, I have a dream. You don't need to be on that kind of scale. But I do believe that if you want to move from doing your work and taking care of your own little universe and being totally in control to branching up and out to having a larger impact, you need to be motivated in order to put in the hard work. There needs to be a, why the hell am I doing this back to Simon Sinek? It's the why. It's like, why? Like, why Why does this make sense? And I think people need to really look at what's there for you. Welcome to the Seven Hats Podcast. My name is Yuval Selleck, and I've been on the entrepreneurial roller coaster for over 20 years. I've experienced it all throughout my journey, the grind, burnout, failure, and ultimately, success. The turning point for me was realizing that building a successful company is meaningless if you neglect the other significant areas of your life. So today, I'm inviting you to join me on an adventure through those seven areas, what I call the seven hats. Every week, my guests and I will drop valuable insights and pearls of wisdom, helping, motivating, and inspiring you to get your seven hats in order and deliver real impact with meaning. So let's get going. Welcome, Seven Hatters. In this episode, we speak with Leo McLeod and dive deep into hats three and four, the servant and the entrepreneur, exploring how emerging entrepreneurs transform from individual contributors to leaders who excel in conflict resolution, relationships, communication, and growing their teams. Leo is an author, speaker, trainer, executive coach, and the creator of the Emerging Leader Program, shifting entrepreneurs' focus from doers to leaders. Leo specializes in succession planning, leadership training, executive coaching, emotional intelligence, presentation coaching, and of course, pie making. So if you're ready to take your entrepreneurial game to the next level, let's welcome Leo to The Seven Hats. Leo, welcome to The Seven Hats. Thank you, Yuval. I've I've been looking forward to this for, well, ever since I tuned into your show, first episode, I'm like, yeah, I got to reach out to this guy because I was listening to your story and I thought, oh, we have some things in common that we need to share. So, <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. And, and, and we do. And I'm really excited. You know, Leo, many leaders like myself and probably you as well started as doers, right? In corporate mm-hmm. jobs. Eventually, mm-hmm. right? Being promoted and then mm-hmm. managing others doing the work. Mm-hmm. And with time and good performance, now managers either get promoted to the leadership team or mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. they will go out on their own, as I did as an entrepreneur. Right. The problem is that leadership is not for the faint of heart, right? It's like being a parent. Now you have others dependent on you and your success in life. And this is why I'm excited to speak with you, Leo. Mm. Leadership is such an important topic, and I can't wait to dig deeper into the subject matter with a pro Mm -hmm. like yourself. But before we even go there, because there are going to be a lot of golden nuggets there, but before we even go there, I'm sure the seven hatters want to learn more about you and your life story and the mindset instilled in you growing up 
that sparked your passion for your life's work. So with that said, Leo, where were you born and how was your childhood like? I was born in Long Island, New York. So I grew up in the suburbs and moved like you. Very similar story. You were Brooklyn, right? Yeah, I was in, actually I was, I was in, I grew up in Queens and uh-huh. I was in, I lived in Long Island in, in East Meadow uh, mm. for a few years and then basically went to school in Binghamton, which is upstate New York and then moved to New Jersey. So yeah, I was, right. for 20 years, I was on the East Coast. Yeah. So we moved from Long Island to upstate New York, the Hudson Valley, to Highland, which is across from Poughkeepsie. And you've probably been through Highland. All you need to do is blink and you've been through Highland. It's so small, <laughs> like a lot of those little places. And, uh, you know, my mother was a, a reading teacher for the school district. And my father was the, they called the personnel director back there. They didn't talk about human resources manager, right? Personnel director at Cabrini School for Boys, which you probably went through, went by. It's right on uh, 9W as you, you kind of go up. But anyway, so yeah, he did that at large family. I'm a middle kid, which uh, family of seven, middle kid, which... Whenever I kind of look at my own person, my, my personality, my life story, I'm like, well, yeah, that's my middle kid stuff coming up. I'm always wanting to dive in and help people and smooth things out and find a solution. And yeah, I mean, <laughs> I always have to remind myself, you're a middle kid. You don't need to do this all the time. <laughs> you're freaking 65 years old. Get over it. Right? <laughs> um, but um, yeah, so I lived in the Hudson Valley. You know, I had kind of a fun childhood other than the fact that my uh, my dad was an alcoholic that part wasn't fun and I, I think it was a, because it was an alcoholic family it was kind of chaotic you know we didn't have you know we didn't have any schedules we didn't have like we didn't plan stuff I never knew what was going to come on there was a lot of uncertainty the only certainty was that when my father came home he would drink and and that was it and you know it's funny when I think about it because I am such a goal setter. Like, I'm all about structure. And I think maybe it's because I didn't have that. You know, I didn't, yeah, that's true. I didn't have a lot of structure growing up. I was a good student. I was the only one in my family that can think of that I was actually academically inclined. So everyone was saying, oh, you should go to college. And I did these aptitude tests. And the aptitude test said, okay, the only thing that you should avoid is going into the trades. Okay, don't do that because this test shows that you shouldn't do that. Like, okay, well then, I think what I'll do then is go up to, they called it BOCES. It was a vocational school in Kingston, New York. And while I was taking all these high-level courses in high school, but I would take afternoons and I would go up to the vocational school to learn to be a mason just because somebody said, you shouldn't do that. I'm like, okay, I think I'll do that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so uh, I did that for a while. I actually started my own handyman business. So I'm kind of a serial entrepreneur. I mean, even from a really young age, I grew up in a, a household where my dad was all about business ideas. My brothers were always talking about what kind of business we should get into. So it was kind of an infectious thing for me. And I I think I was 16 or 17, some ridiculous age. I decided that I was going to 
get into being a handyman. Okay, without any experience at all on being a handyman, no qualifications at all. I had a 1961 Chrysler Imperial that I bought for $100. This thing is, you know, it's the uh, with all the chrome and the fins and the push-button transmission and all that stuff. And and I, I got a sign painted. That the sign actually cost me more than the car cost. <laughs> and I and it said Leo McLeod painting, paper hanging, handyman, and it said for the job done right, which is hilarious because I didn't know a damn thing. My all my knowledge about doing any kind of repair work was from the Reader's Digest Do It Yourself Guide. I didn't learn any of that stuff. Like your story is so interesting because you know you talk about laying those tiles and your dad's like, do it over. You got to do it right, right? And there was this big life lesson. Okay, my dad was like his solution. To everything was if it came in a tube, like liquid wrench and liquid plumber, like anything that was sold on an infomercial. I mean, his like. He was such a he was a, he was a great guy, but you know he wasn't um, he wasn't a craftsman. So and I just decided that I was going to be different. You know, I was going to take a different path, and so I applied myself and actually became a house painter, and that's how I made my living. And I went to Maine. I lived in a cabin in Maine, and then decided it just wasn't for me. Like eighteen years old, living on the coast of Maine, right where it it gets dark late and the town closes down. I'm like, okay. So I hitchhiked across the country. My brothers had done that. I thought it sounded like a good idea. Uh, And it was definitely an adventure. But the way I made money is I would go into a town and I'd work at Manpower. Remember, good old Manpower. Uh, Hauling boxes, working in warehouses, doing all kinds of stuff. And I remember I was in San Francisco and I was in line, really long line. And... (laughs) And and I asked this guy, you know, this older guy. I said he's he's in line with me. I said, was you know, is there another way of of making money rather than standing in line? Which you know, I'm thinking in hindsight, like that was not the kind of question you ask, right? <laughs> in San Francisco, and an older guy is like, okay, but he said actually, what you do is you, if you want, you can wash windows. So I got a pail and I got some ammonia. No, vinegar. Yeah, vinegar and newspapers. And I got a bus ticket and went to Haight-Ashbury. And I walked the stores. And I knocked on people's doors. And you want your windows washed. And I made up money for, you know, my rest of my trip just by doing that. So (laughs) I eventually ended up in Portland, Oregon, which, you know, I loved because it was, you know, for me, and I think, you know, I've heard your story and, and our stories are really similar in that. We're both from the East Coast, and there's 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 a lot to be said about I would call the old country, right? And you go there. I was just back there. Everything is so freaking old, and you go back there. It's like it doesn't change. And energetically, I needed something different. I needed a I needed a like a new canvas, right? Yeah. And when I went to Portland, especially went to Portland, it's like trees growing downtown and people doing interesting things and and it was just the energy of the city it was well then it's not so clean now but it was clean back then and and it and it was energizing and I, I, that's the way I would put it, it was energizing it was an energy thing there's a different energy on the east coast very deep roots but those keep you 
right? They keep you rooted, and there's a lot to say about that tradition. I always feel like I'm at home, but I also feel like I'm kind of like contracted and closed down as opposed to being here on the West Coast, and especially in Oregon. I'm like, I'm opened up, and it allowed me to, you know, uh, just blaze my own way. I didn't have any family here. That was kind of, I don't know if that was on purpose or not, but, you know, it's similar to your story, right? Where you, you, you can identify with that, right? You come yep, out. Absolutely. Just, right. How was your relationship with your mom? So I dedicated my book to my mom. My mom was like amazing. I had a really strong relationship with her and um, she lived to be 97 wow. and I just learned so much from her. You know, I was thinking about this interview just a little while ago and it's funny, I was, while I was doing it, I was also making a list of like, what am I going to do today? I'm time blocking, I'm big on time blocking and making notes and crossing things out. Then I just, I remembered this time, my mother was in a, what do you want to call it? It's not like a, it's like a nursing home, it's a retirement community. It's not, it was like, she, her, she was getting dementia, she was getting anxiety, it was really, really rough, and she would go in and out. You know, sometimes she was fine, sometimes she was kind of a, a train wreck. So she was in Maine, and I would fly across the country and go see her. And even when she was, well, up to be like 95, well, actually, that's weird. 95, she actually came out to our wedding, and she played uh, What a Wonderful World on the Piano, She's an incredible piano player. She's like a jukebox. She just, like you can just say, play this, play that. She did it. And then we danced together. We danced at my wedding. She was 95 years old. But back to my kind of story about going going to the nursing home, I remember where she had really gone downhill really quickly, and she was very anxious. (laughs) She said, she grabbed my arm and squeezed and looked right at me like really intensely and said, Leo, Leo, now you listen, listen. I want to know when I'm going to go back out to Portland, okay? Well, mom will work on it. No, 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 that's not. Get the calendar out. I want to set a date. I want a time. I'm like, well, yeah, I think, you know, let's kind of, and I'm kind of pushing her off because she couldn't travel anymore. She was so damn insistent on wanting to make a plan. She was all about, you know, pushing herself. She retired, went up to upstate New York, like up to Lake Champlain. She walked five miles every day, year round. I mean, it's like upstate New York's like negative 30. It's like crazy. And my, here's my mother in her nineties walking on these country roads. So she was a really, she was a person who really liked to live life and lived it with a lot of gratitude. And I think I didn't see that coming. <laughs> but, yeah, she lived with a lot of gratitude, and I live with a lot of gratitude. It's it's the, yeah, it's the biggest thing that I, I got from her, making plants and living, living with gratitude. Who was more influential in your life, your dad or your mom? Well, you know, it's funny. Definitely my mother, 
but I've been kind of revising that history because there's a lot of things I got from my dad that I didn't get from my mother. Like, my mother wasn't an entrepreneur, and my dad was, you know. I mean, my mother wasn't particularly funny or kind of a character. My dad was, you know. We, when he died, well, we all got together after the funeral. We sat around the kitchen table, and we were talking, we're sharing, like, Leoisms, because I'm a Leo. I'm named after him. And um, we were sharing all the little funny sayings that he had. And they were just like he would butcher French and he would quote movies and stand-up comedians. And he just had these little, you know, three jacks. And, uh, you know, watch out, you know, watch the referee because somebody's knocking the hell out of you. And I don't know, just like uh, weird, uh, one more step low set. It's like, I, I like uh, these random kind of things. We went on for about an hour. I don't know how many there were. There were probably 80 or 100. That's not my mother. That's my dad. And and I'm 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 like that too. I'm just I'm kind of random in a character and so <laughs> So you've dealt with Alzheimer's and dementia from both sides of the family because your dad passed yeah. away from Alzheimer's, correct? Yeah. 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 What did you learn? Well, I'll tell you a story. The story is that <laughs> I, I sure as hell don't want to get it, and I'm hoping that I'll find some way of, if I do get it, taking my own life or something and ending it soon. I just had a friend of mine whose aunt had dementia, and uh, and she just willed herself to die, and she was dead in two days. I'm like, there you go. That's the way to go. <laughs> uh, that's one thing I learned. I hope hope I get that lesson. But my story about it is that I went back one year when my dad was really rough. I mean, he couldn't even recognize me. I was so heartbreaking. And I went back to New York, and it was around Christmas time, and it was just like, get me the hell out of here. This is like the most gut-wrenching thing. My mother totally stressed out, checked out, you know, trying to take care of him. My dad not even really there. So my mother started playing the piano and she's playing the piano and playing Christmas music and we're a big sing around the piano family. That that was her thing. And um, so my dad's in the other room and I go over to my mother and I start singing A Holy Night and out of nowhere comes my father singing and picking it up and like he didn't remember my name, but he knew the words to Oh Holy Night. And I just wow. like start I just broke down. I just started sobbing. And so then I thought, wow, you know, there's something inside him that's like not totally forgotten and broken. And when I went back to Portland, I decided because I was um if you look at like behind me there, I've got that's that's some of my artwork. So wow. I was working in a I was working in a not working, sorry. I was like drawing at this drawing studio and I saw a little advertisement on the bulletin board that the local Alzheimer's care clinic was looking for people to come in and do some volunteering. So I don't know, I just had this idea, this fantasy that I'm going to go in there and teach people how to draw because like my dad, maybe there's this hidden artist in them, 
right? That's just waiting to be unlocked. Like maybe that's a part of their brain that's okay. Just like there was a part of my brain, my dad's brain that was remember it, oh, holy night. So I went in, uh, got all my supplies. And we were at like a, like a conference room. And I soon realized that, that this was not really going to go that well because it was kind of a cluster F. It was just like people didn't, you know, like, like, what do I do with a pen? And what now, what am I doing? And then they started yelling and throwing things. I'm like, oh my God. I mean, it was, this was not like a kumbaya kind of moment. This is just like what I get myself into. And, <laughs> and then I, it was the longest, probably 45 minutes of my life. And then everybody left except one guy named Chuck. And Chuck was mostly living in his mind in World War II and on the beaches of Normandy or something. And I, but I caught him in a moment where he was present. I said, well, Chuck, uh, did you have a good time? And he says, yeah, yeah, I did. And I looked down and he had drawn this really adorable picture of a little scruffy dog, really like charming little caricature. And he said, yeah, I, uh, I surprised myself. And I thought, wow, like that's it right there. Like if I can surprise somebody, if I can surprise myself, if I can play any role in in having surprising anybody else, like that's what it's about. For me, that's what it's about personally. And so I don't know, I'm just kind of making a connection here. I think about the work that I do coaching and you know, I'm always I'm always trying to go for that. I'm always trying to help people find some way to change something in their behavior, their approach to life, their mindset that will surprise them and say, well, I had no idea I could do that. Yeah, that, I think that's really important for me. It was important for, especially my mother. She was always learning. She was always like pushing herself. Yeah, I'm going to learn the pipe organ at 85 years old, right? And lead the choir. It's like she just never stopped. So I like to think that my life is just about finding the next thing to learn about, surprising myself and continuing to surprise other people or help people surprise themselves is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. And I think from all of my conversations, I sense that those that really want to help others are ones that probably didn't experience that growing up with a family member or a parent. So if it was lacking when they were young, or yeah. younger, then that created a desire to help others achieve what they never got from their, you know, loved ones. And I and I kind of see a pattern over time with those that I speak with. How old were you when you decided to go into coaching? Well, I had a string of jobs. I went back. I was I went back to college late in life, twenty eight, got my degree in English, didn't know what to do with it, went into fundraising, <laughs> went into it's funny, got a degree in English. Guess what? I just wrote a book. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, I, I do use it all the time. It's it's pretty funny. People like, what do you do with a degree in English? Well, you're right. <laughs> That's what you do. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah. So, and then I worked at an advertising agency. I worked at a library. I did a variety of things. And then I was just like, you know, between jobs, I didn't have a job. 
I was let go, and and uh, <laughs> it's funny. I um, I had this job at the library. It was like I was the entrepreneurial coordinator at a library. Like like I asked him. What do you wanted me to do? It says we we have no idea. We want you to figure that out. Just like any entrepreneur, it's like <laughs> just like it's like I don't know. We have this title. We just think the library should be more entrepreneurial. So I put in a Starbucks into the first public library. I rented the space after hours. I brought in computer classes. I I had them start taking credit cards for the fees and fines. And anyway, I I did a variety of things. It was a great job. But I remember. You know, my job was really kind of getting things going, getting up and going. I worked there for about five years. I remember I, towards the end, I had lunch with the library director. And she said, you know, I could see you being a really good consultant. And, you know, that was like, that was kind of an offhanded or backhanded way of saying you're not a really good employee. Because <laughs> I was way too opinionated. But it's true. It was a good insight to be a consultant. So I started out being a consultant for actually doing marketing for small businesses. And, uh, and it was cool. It was fun. Websites, PR, that kind of thing. And, and then I just realized that I could have a bigger impact on a brand and a company internally. Like, people buy from people. They like any trust. So I could develop a website or I could help transform the company more internally by making the people stronger because that's really what it's about and that became a really exciting idea and honestly I fell into it and then people started to discover that I had a talent for it it wasn't an intentional thing like oh so I want to become a coach no people they just looked at me and they said you know what, I got a group of people over here who need some communication skills. I got some engineers who are having a hard time getting to the point. I, I've, I've got some architects here who are really struggling with, you know, with their with moving from a doer to a leader and their hair's on fire and I'm afraid of losing them and can you help them? And, that's, and somebody told me early on, just say yes. <laughs> and figure it out. I know, then figure it out. Like, I remember somebody called me and said, do you do emotional intelligence assessments? And as I'm talking to them, I'm Googling emotional intelligence. <laughs> I'm like, um, yeah, you're interested in emotional intelligence assessments as I'm like, I'm hitting like stand up, like here's the results. Uh-huh. Sure. And I'm calling it up and I'm <laughs> reading off like, oh, it's hilarious. But I'm not trying to say, it makes it sound like I'm totally making stuff up. But I'm just not afraid of getting into stuff where I have an opportunity to learn something new and then doing a deep dive into it. Yeah. Well, I mean, you've, you've been around the block of, you know, a couple of times. So let's kind of delve into, into this question, I guess. You know, because you're training emerging uh, leaders on the path of leading others, right? And We've all seen the difference between poor leaders and ones that inspire us uh, to become better versions of ourselves. Um, you know, leaders or leadership, I should say, isn't exclusive to the business world, of course. I mean, you have right. JFK, Churchill, I mean, Martin Luther King, Gandhi, you name them. And then famous business leaders such as Jack Welsh and Elon Musk and Steve Jobs. I don't know, Henry, Henry Ford, Walt Disney, and others. This question is actually a multi-part question because I really want to delve into some of your experience. So I'll start with this. In your opinion, are leaders born or made? 
Well, I will answer it by saying that that there there are a lot of different kinds of leaders. There's a lot of different kinds of leaders. So when we when we like if I teach a class on how to be a leader, there's going to be an an ideal, right, of all the different things they need to be able to plan for the future and they need to be able to influence and motivate inspire and communicate and care about people and be responsible for results and you know be I mean, it's it's sort of like a classic list but the reality is as you were mentioning all those people is that leaders okay well, like what is a leader it's just somebody who excels at something and sometimes there it's about people following them and sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's just about them kicking ass. Like I was watching the Steve Jobs, right? That I think it's the Netflix thing. I'm like, <laughs> I didn't get through the whole thing, but I'm like, this guy was not like a nice guy, right? He wasn't like respectful. He's, I mean, he, I'm like, he was a genius, genius. I mean, a leader, but not a leader in other ways, Right, not not in ways where you th- where you'd like to think when you're teaching a leadership class about emotional intelligence and taking care of people and caring the whole servant leadership stuff. It's like, yeah, right, forget it. You know, we got to push, we got to move, we got to. It's like, and people don't like to talk about like Trump being a leader. You know, it's like, oh no, he's not a leader. It's like, yeah, he, you know, he 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 did win the presidency. I mean, there's there's. If you can just kind of take your hat off about, you know, Democrat, Republican, left, right, and just be more like, what is a leader? I mean, look, I'm not, I'm, you know, I think he was awful. I mean, I, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a supporter of him, but you got to be kind of wide-eyed about this and say, what the hell was it about him that almost half the country voted for him, right? Twice. Yeah. I mean. I mean, you know, and it's like, you can't just say, well, people are stupid, you know. I just think that we need to be, there was a really interesting New Yorker article about all the different views of leadership and how we can kind of, how we try to, like, put definitions on it. And it's the reason why there are countless books on it and we talk about it so much because it's not just one thing. It can show up, but you can say that person's a leader in this way, and they're not a person that they're not a leader in that way. And so, to your point, yeah, leaders can be sort of born with some natural affinities. If we kind of can broaden this idea of what a leader is, you could have someone who's just like super smart at stuff and be really successful, but just piss people off. Like, yeah, they're a leader. I mean, they're, they're successful. And other people who are just, maybe they learn through their childhood how to be nurturing and how to be a great servant leader and people love them too. So it's not just, like it's, it's not just one thing. And it's, it's, I think for business, it's being able to accommodate that there could be technical leaders, people good at certain things, and then there could be people leaders. And that, that's probably a fairly rough but easy distinction to make. There are people who are good with people and there are people who are good with things. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. And and sometimes there's people who very rarely are good at both, but not usually. 
Which is funny. Let, let's just delve a little bit deeper into that and, and get into some EQ. So, you know, we spoke about Jobs and Trump and, you know, this visionary yeah, giants yeah. like yeah. them, but they're getting yeah. really bad press, right, for being controlling, humiliating their subordinates, right? They have very harsh leadership styles. And those are the ones you hear about in the news, I think, more, more often, right. because they're so charismatic and you want them to be to fit some ideal of perfection, but they never right. do. Right. So in, in your expertise, based on emotional intelligence that you Googled yeah. a long time ago, or yeah. as they call it, EQ, yeah. do you believe that it is actually possible to play at that level, right, that Musk and, and, and Jobs play at, which is super stressful? I mean, I can't, I'm an entrepreneur, I'm a two-time entrepreneur, and I know what stress is, and you know what stress is being an entrepreneur, but mm -hmm. I don't know what stress is being Elon Musk. You know what I mean? Like that's just a yeah, yeah, different, yeah, yeah. a different level. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. you know, and the way that they lead, they lead differently, right? Than than yeah. others. But yeah. they're not known for their for their EQ. Tell me a little bit about why you think that is. Why do you think that at that level, yeah, you you don't usually see emotionally intelligent individuals and is that and is that something that's even possible when you have that much stress on you <laughs> that's funny that's a great question let me get back to you on that one <laughs> no I'm just, <laughs> i i mean i don't have like an instant an instant answer for that because i i, I just think it's fascinating i think you're right about it it's like you know th there's there's a lot of successful people out there successful leaders politically and in business who I don't think they really give a damn about people. I mean, I'll yeah. just be honest. You know, it's not, that's not, that's not what it's about. You know, we like to think of great leadership as having that EQ component. And I'll tell you, you can find any leadership book is going to give you a recipe that includes all that stuff. It's going to give you the you know, they need to they need to be holistic. They need to have all those things. But the reality is different, right? The the reality is different in that there are some people who are not nice people, who are not great with relationships and and yet they're you know, they're really they're really successful. But I'm not sure I mean it, it, ask your question again because I got a little I got a little lost in it. My you know, my my point is more like if you're playing at that high level and you have yeah. so much responsibility on you yeah. to yeah. deliver, yeah. is it almost impossible to also bring in EQ and emotional intelligence because you, your, your whole job is to produce? And sometimes right. the niceties of being there for people doesn't, doesn't work well with production. Because production yes. is very hard and fast, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, you're right. You're right. I, I agree with you. So yes, I agree with you is that I think it's driven by other stuff. You know, a lot of it's like shareholder value, right? Or politically, like how many votes I can get. It's like, you know, it's interesting. If you, like I was reading a Lincoln's uh, a biography about Lincoln, and I mean, he was... He was very, obviously very ambitious. People don't really think about him. They think about, oh, he's such a kind soul. He saved our nation. He, you know, he cared about African-Americans. He, he brought us together. It's like early on in his career, he was like, anything I can do to get ahead. If I, if I can step on you or, 
you know, go to the other side here. I'm going to do it. And, and we don't, we don't like to think that way about leaders, right? We like to think, yeah. no, he was, he was decent to everybody. It's like, no, that's not true. It's like, <laughs> you know, so yes, to your point, but you know, like if you think about for me, it's like, well, what's, what's that mean then for coaching people? What's that mean for you and me? What's it mean for the people listening to the show, right? I still believe that you can't get away with stuff. Things are going to catch up to you. You know, I use this idea of the emotional bank account. It's like, you know, what comes around goes around or whatever that expression is just sort of, you know, it's, 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 you know, what Maya Angelou said, uh, people won't remember what you say. They won't remember what you do, but they'll remember how you make them feel. And, you know, look, if you, if you want to get a coach that's going to help you be the most successful financially and push, 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 don't, don't use me, <laughs> use somebody else because I'm going to be more about the relationships. It's just, that's my thing. You know, I just, I just believe that, you know, treating people with respect and supporting them and listening to them is a form of leadership that I support. That's all. And, and, but I'm not, I'm not delusional that there are no other kind of leaders around. I just try to, in my own way, contribute to the world by making leaders that are more emotionally connected and more supportive. That's all. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think we've got to look at the bell curve again in, in anything in life, which the bell curve really operates at a hundred percent. You will have the majority of leaders right at that middle edge of the curve. And you'll have some that are really, really poor leaders on the left side, and you'll have some really, really yeah. incredible leaders on the yeah. right side. But the more incredible the leader, the less of a chance you will find them. Because right. it just requires so much. And it's like I know. alcohol or drugs or business or money. It amplifies everything that's inside of you. So what I see a lot is, I see a lot of entrepreneurs who start a business, a startup, mm -hmm. and they exhibit this desire to help everybody in the organization and be there for them and, and really display some great EQ. But mm -hmm. as the business grows and grows and they have more pressure, as I said earlier, and they have shareholders and look at Mark Zuckerberg as an example. You know, when he first started, he was not the Mark Zuckerberg that he is today. And I think, and I think that amplifies, you know, the business world, money, power, it all amplifies what's already inside and makes it one way or another. So it's an interesting, interesting concept that I think we can speak about for days. But let me let me change directions a little bit and and speak to Simon Sinek. He attributes, well, he has two attributes that he feels are important for leaders to possess. Um, and those are empathy and perspective. You know, he states that the leader's real job is not being in charge, but taking care of those in charge. So, Leo, because you work with emerging leaders who are more technical, I know you love engineers. God bless your soul. Who might be, and I only say it because my partner is an engineer, who might be smart and perhaps a bit challenged in emotional intelligence. You know, that said, the, these operators might look to becoming a leader from being the doer. 
And we see this all the time when operators are promoted to leadership roles. And after a while, it actually becomes apparent that just because they were excellent operators, they were not qualified to become a leader in the organization. So in your view, what qualifications must one have to transition from a doer to a leader? Um, I, You know what? I think that it's not too dissimilar from being an entrepreneur. I think you need to have the motivation. You need to have the fire in the belly. I mean, everything requires work. I don't care who you are or what the scenario is. It's just back to my, my comment. You could surprise yourself. Yeah. You need to put the work into it. Look, I mean, there's so many great books that have been written about people who just didn't give up, who worked. I mean, even that Steve Jobs story, it's like he didn't start off with people accepting him. They're like, this guy's crazy, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, right. He was like, I, yeah, computers, you know, I don't get it. And he he was able to kind of push, but he, he was fueled by something internally. He was fueled by something inside himself that says, no, I... Like I have a dream, like right, Martin Luther King was fueled by something bigger that that fueled him. You don't need to be on that kind of scale, but I do believe that if you want to move from doing your work and taking care of your own little universe and being totally in control to branching, I would say, up and out to having a larger impact, either by being an entrepreneur or going from, you know, uh, an individual contributor to managing a, even if even a small team, it, you need to be motivated in order to put in the hard work. It, there needs to be a, why the hell am I doing this? Back to Simon Sinek, right? It's the why. It's like, why? Like, why, why does this make sense? And I think people need to really look at why they would want to do that work. And, and that's one of the first questions I ask. Like, you know, what's in it for you, right? Let's not talk about the company. Let's, you know, why are you doing this? Why, why do you want to do it? And, and what will it get you three years from now? I call it your mountain. Personally and professionally, how is life different? Let's just, we don't need to go fancy. We don't need five or 10 or 20. Just let's just say three. It's like, why put in the work? And I, uh, to answer your question, I've, I've been surprised by people really making a lot of progress because they were determined to do it. Yeah. I have a story. So the story is that I work with a, an architect who had his own business. He was an entrepreneur. He was, it was his company. And he was technically brilliant, a great project manager. Clients loved him. And he was very strong in the retail sector. So the, he had some anchor clients, some, some big box anchor clients that, you know, loved him. Well, he was really poor on this whole, back what we were saying, the emotional intelligence part of it. Mm -hmm. He just burned relationships, mostly internally. And this is what I do find. People can be strong externally with clients and, and, and poor internally with their team and vice versa. It's really rare to find leaders that are like really strong internally with their people and, and, and also with clients. But back to the story of this guy, he, he transferred over to another company, a larger firm. He left his company, his company kind of imploded. 
now he's on his own and he gets picked up by a larger company that has a different culture and a different rules. And they say, look, the internal team here actually is really important. Like that's our culture. Like you, people have to like working with you. <laughs> if, if you want to be a principal here and an owner in this firm, here's the recipe. You need to be someone who is respectful of the, of your colleagues who can't just, you know, order them around, tell them what they're doing wrong. That's the way he operated. He was, he was operating like, that's stupid. Why would you do that? And boy, that's a crappy design. And, um, you know, why are you late again? You know, I mean, just shoot his mouth off, you know? Yeah. And, and he got the message loud and clear from these, the owners. They said, you know what? This is not going to work. If, if you want to get here, if you want to get to the top here, these are our rules, okay? Yeah. And so I came into the situation, and this guy was like so super motivated to say, I got to get my shit together. What I'm doing, the way I'm doing it is not working. It's not, not going to get me there. What got me here is not going to get me there. And I've never seen someone work so hard in my life. I mean, this guy was just like, I would say stuff about emotional intelligence he would write it down. I'm like, really? Like, nobody writes it down in a class, right? <laughs> they might seem like they're interested, but he's like writing everything down. I'm like, okay. And then I coach him and I give him an assignment and come back the next time. How'd you do? I did that. What else do I need to do? I'm like, really? Okay. <laughs> I mean, he just applied himself and he got a mentor. And I think this is an important part. I know you talk a lot about this. Having people who can provide those, those like ears and eyes to your behavior and give you what I call like gentle coaching. Mm -hmm. And he found somebody in the organization who was very senior. He was already at the top and he was a nice guy. And he was able to tell this guy says, look, you know, did you really mean to come across that way in that email? And, uh, you might want to tone this down. And to his credit, this is his best, quality the guy was totally open to any feedback and i believe honestly if i kind of this is my own personal philosophy if you're motivated to change and you're open to the feedback then you can really do amazing things and he his emotional intelligence assessment i'm talking about having people assess him in his like his colleagues assessed him as a um like how he's doing in terms of his self-awareness and self-management, social awareness and, so, and relationship management. They, When I first came in, they gave him a pretty low score on a lot of stuff. And a year and a half later, it was like one of the highest in the firm. I'm like, wow. really? Like that? Talk about surprising me, surprising him, surprising a lot of people. But he was so damn determined. He was so damn determined to say, I need to, I like, I need to, stop staying stupid shit and treat people more with respect. And he learned so much more about that concept of, hey, we're in this together and look how much more we can do together. Back to the Simon Sinek thing of, of kind of understanding that power of not just doing it yourself. And I do, I do believe that this is a challenge for entrepreneurs because I've thought about this. As an entrepreneur, one of my big challenges is that I get excited by my own ideas and I get worked up 
if you and I can have a conversation in a few minutes, you might rattle something off. I'm like, that's a great idea. I should go ahead and pursue that. But it's me. It's always about me. It's like, I should do that. I should do that. Instead of thinking, how can I kind of collaborate and bring in other people and be just part of something else? And I think that's a big transition with a lot of entrepreneurs. It's like, this is not a solo act. Correct. So everything I talked about in that other story was like this guy realizing, I am not a solo act. That's not going to work for me. And I think for entrepreneurs who are listening to the show, it's like, you're not a solo act. I mean, you can be, but... Just entertain this idea that there's a tremendous power in relationships and community, and then I mean that's right. That's what that's what cynics kind of talking about. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And building building together is always always more fun than building alone, but it also allows you to build higher, bigger, better. A solopreneur can only go so far, but together as a tribe and those that you recruit as an entrepreneur, you actually have to be really great. And recruiting, but if you can recruit the right people, then there's no limit to what you can do. You know, it's interesting. I have a question because it, it this just popped into my mind. Mm-hmm. You know, like parents, and I would say parents are leaders, right? Uh, they're probably all everything together. They're entrepreneurs, the leaders, they're everything. Mm. But everyone is capable of being a parent, but not everyone should become a parent, right? I decided mm-hmm. not to become a parent. I can't keep a plant alive, let alone a human being. You know, and with me focusing on my business, mm. I didn't want to uh, do to my child what happened in my childhood with my dad being an entrepreneur mm. himself and working, you know, all the time. So how could we tell if we would be good leaders, right? Becoming a leader or a parent can be very compelling when you're young. However, we don't realize the enormous sacrifice and dedication that it takes to become one. So do you come across people in your practice that hire you for guidance, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. on how to become a leader? Mm -hmm. And in your mind, you're like, shit, Uh, man, perhaps you should reconsider this decision, right? Yeah. What, what What are some warning signs that you look for in attributes, in attributes, sorry, that sometimes can possess that someone can possess actually, where no matter how hard they try to master the skill of leadership, mm-hmm. they're mm-hmm. just not cut out for it. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, you know, what I'm trying to do through my work is have people be leaders of people. That mm-hmm. That's my work. It's not to be a leader in a technical field. People are not hiring me so that people can continue to be technical experts and, you know, just be awesome at that, be thought leaders or whatever. That They don't hire me for that. They hire me specifically to turn people into better people managers. And some people are across the spectrum on that. Some people are pretty good. Some people are pretty bad. <laughs> um, I think what it comes down to, to answer your question, is it's where, well, let me say it this way. I'm always testing people and inviting them to try something new, like delegate or give people feedback or have a difficult conversation, things that are, are going to feel awkward for them and, and, and new and, and challenging. I'm always inviting them to do that. I give them the tools, so go try it. And it is the work of 
learning to become a leader is, is letting go. That's what it's about. It's really about that, that process becoming, going from a doer to a leader is about letting go. It's about letting go of what gave you, and this is going to be real, I'm just going to be like tell you, it's about letting go of that stuff that gave you joy. It's like, I love designing buildings. I love designing uh, bridges. That's why I got into this. What? What do you want me to do now? You want me to give up that? Now what's my job? Yeah. Really? Like, um, so I have to sit in this meeting, and then I and my day is lining it up and delegating and coaching other people to do the work that I love, that I get pride in, that gets me excitement. Really? That's yeah. what you want me to do? And I'll be honest with you, that is really the hard part. And, yeah. and it continues to be the hard part for people a lot of people don't usually, they, especially in this industry, because it's all based on billable hours, they don't stop being doers. They have to do some of the work. What I try to do is I just say, look, I, I, I figure out how to try to make this more palatable. I said, look, let's just take, like, let's manage your time so you're getting rid of the stuff that you don't want to do anyway. And let's focus on the stuff that actually does bring you joy. Because, you know, in any one day, and this is true for both of us, for anybody, there's a lot of stuff that you shouldn't do. That's just soul sucking that somebody else should do. Let's start there. So if you're really, back to my point, if you really want to move from being a doer to a leader, you have to be smart about how you're using your energy and your time. And, and if you can do that, it's not going to be that you're not going to have to give up everything. You just have to be really a lot more mindful of, of not doing things that you didn't pay attention to before. You can't just head down and you can't continue to just do work and then try to shoehorn in managing people. It's like, yeah. no, you, you, need a, you need a different game plan. And that's what I do. It's what I write about in the book. It's about having a different game plan for for your day which includes people it's being it's you know it's a lot of the stuff i know i can tell that you do it i do it it's time blocking it's being intentional and that's the shift now back to what i said it's still difficult for people to let go of that shit this this person's younger they're junior they don't know what they're doing and i'm giving them the work Wow, yeah. that's really exciting. This is awesome. It's like, <laughs> no, it's not that. It's a lot of times not that awesome. <laughs> yeah. Delegation is really difficult for anyone, especially those that are entering the, uh, the leadership role. So a couple more questions and really more about you. Mm -hmm. What do you think is the one habit that help? I know there's many habits, but what do you think like the one habit that helped you achieve the success that you enjoy today? Hmm. Boy, because there's a bunch of stuff that comes to my head. So I'm trying, mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm trying to narrow it down. But I would, um, I, I would just, I would say that it's about having the courage to just get in and figure stuff out in, in my own life. I mean, whether it's, in a relationship where I don't want to deal with a difficult conversation, it's like, dude, you just got to have that conversation. You just rip it off. You need to do this thing. You need to be real with this person. Or to go into a new business challenge and say, I, you know, I don't know. I have no idea how to do this. I'm just going to go ahead and be lost and be kind of stupid about it. And yeah, I think that's really what fuels me is I would call it the courage to put myself out there time and time again to just 
Hey, you've all, how many, how many people have you had on the show that cried? <laughs> you know, a couple. I mean, I'm, yeah, well, yeah, maybe, yeah, right. Okay, actually, <laughs> I take that back. That's I true. make people cry. You're good at that. You do. Damn you. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I think that, uh, and it gets back to what I said about my mother, it's that insatiable curiosity and drive to want to, just kind of push myself and improve. She did it to her dying day, and and I, that's what fuels me. That's awesome. So this question might be similar, or maybe cross what you just said. But I'd like to close on my interviews with the following question: Who did you have to stop being, and who did you need to become to manifest your current success? I think that. It gets back to some of the things that I've actually been talking about is that uh, and when you say, you know, in order for me to become currently who I am, I would put a little differently who I'm trying to become, right? I'm going to give a little bit more current. I'm still working on this part. And mm-hmm. the what I'm, I would answer is to say is that I'm working to be more collaborative and to work in more partnership with people and to figure out how to do that rather than do the solo entrepreneur thing. Uh, and I, that's just in my life. I mean, everything. Like, I'll give you an example. Like, I, I play the ukulele and I write songs. But my real joy is bringing people together and inspiring them and working on songs together. And... It's doing it in concert with people. I've just I've come to realize that there's so much more richness in 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 more of that collaborative effort and not doing it by myself. I mean, I've of course I wrote the book. I'm like, okay, that's just sitting down and writing it. But I had an editor, but I didn't like that because it was too it was too solo. I love these podcasts because it's more of a it's a sharing of ideas, right? It's yep. energetically, it's really fun. I'm not sure how to make a living out of being a guest on a podcast, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm <laughs> but, sure you'll figure. I'm sure yeah, you'll figure, figure that out. out. Yeah, I'll let you know about that. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, um, I, I think to, to answer your question, I needed to stop. You know, just being, you know, Leo McLeod by himself kind of thing, and figuring stuff out, and and this guy coming to the party and just saying, you know, what can we do together? And looking more, I'm just looking more for opportunities to, you know, to work with people, to teach with people, to consult with people together, and 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 find that, you know, look, I mean, you got you got a business with a partner, and you know, you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I love that answer, Leo. Tell the Seven Hatters what you're currently up to. Tell them about your book and how they can find you, because after this interview, I'm sure. You're going to have a lot of collaboration with a lot of people, hopefully. (laughs) Exactly. That's my goal. Yeah, there you go. I love it. So you can find everything at leomcleod.com. That's L-E-O-M-A-C-L-E-O-D.com. And my book is From the Ground Up, Stories and Lessons from Architects and Engineers Who Learn to Be Leaders. But the principles are good for anybody. I've... I've had a lot of people read it and get stuff out of it. So they can find it all there. And I'm currently working on another book. 
and I will I'll let people know what that's about as I'm as I'm doing it. It's kind of it's not official yet, but I uh, I think I landed a contract to be a co-author of a book that's already out there, and I'll be working with a team. Back to come what I was saying, instead nice. of writing my own book, I'm working with a team to revise uh, an existing text on coaching and mentoring. So yeah, that's what I'm doing. I love it. And for those seven hatters, I would suggest uh, listening. I would suggest Googling Leo and watching the video about his dad, the lessons he's learned about his dad. Mm. It's a great, Mm. great video, very heartwarming. And your artwork is, is incredible. You should put it on your website at the very least. There you go. Uh, to Thank show, you for that To show others <laughs> what, what, what you do so well. Although yeah. I can't taste your pie, I, I know that you also bake pies, which is near and dear to my life in cooking um, as I cook. But Leo, thank you so much for entertaining us, for sharing your uh, heartwarming story and just your dedication to business leaders and entrepreneurs. Yeah, I, um, I thank it. you for being part of the Seven Hats. Thank you for doing what you do. I uh, I love your show, and I I love listening to the episodes. And you definitely put you put everything into it, and you put a lot of heart into it. And uh, I think that's why it's successful. So thank you very much. My my pleasure. Thank you so much. I appreciate it, Leo. Thank you. Let's end today with a show segment that I refer to as "What Can We Hang Our Hat On?" And here's my takeaway. Leo and I touched upon servant leaders who desire to accomplish more than their peers. They have a dream, passion, and an expectation of changing the world. Simon Sinek spoke widely on starting with the why. The principle is that leaders with the greatest influence in the world all think, act, and communicate the same way. And it's the opposite of what everyone else does. Becoming a world-class leader is one of the hardest achievements for entrepreneurs. There are so many so-called leaders out there, but very few masters. And when leading teams, organizations, or movements successfully, the entrepreneur will be put to the challenge daily. And without their why, they are bound to quit or fail. If you're looking to change the world, ask yourself the one question Leo asks all his clients. What's in it for you? What is your why? I want to thank Leo once again for joining me so that we can all benefit from his wisdom. And until next time, if you found this episode helpful, please hit that subscribe button and tell other entrepreneurs out there what value you receive from it so that we can attract even more high quality people into our Seven Hats community. So for now, I will bid you farewell and success on your journey. And until next time, my name is Yuval Selleck, and I tip my hat to you. <laughs>